This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And I'm joined today by the illustrious author, incredible, incredible minds, and incredible podcast host, our vice president here at The Witness, Ali Henny. How are you? Hey, I'm glad that I got like a really big introduction. Like usually like, yeah, hey, Ali Henny is here. Well, and okay. also she has it's she has a now released book um, entitled I Won't Shut Up. Finding your voice when the world tries to silence you. Please pick that up wherever books are sold. And this is a rare treat, Ali. We have a special guest here today and he is sitting in between us and he yes, is typically behind the camera. And he's a video producer here at The Witness. He is the one, the only Ryan Gentry. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm so I'm so glad to be here. I'm actually I'm really excited. It's been a little while. I know last time was ages ago but i'm i'm glad to be back on yeah and i think the, the people are going to be glad to have you back on because they have asked me continuously when is ryan coming no, back no no i'm dead serious i'm not lying to you they've asked me when is ryan coming back you think i'm gonna lie on this mic <laughs> <laughs> hey like we can move you out buddy okay all right all right all right, all right. <laughs> i'm kidding but no they have seriously been like man you know what ryan was so your gen z episode did very well Oh, and good. I think your honesty on it, everything people really enjoyed. So it's good to welcome you back. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be back. It was it was a, it was really fun to record. I've never I think it was the first podcast episode of anything I've ever done. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be back. Well, so we have this tradition at Pastor Mike where I I think I started it where I would do these little affirmations for black mm-hmm. Christians and we theme an entire episode around it. You know, black Christians, you are important. Black Christians don't negotiate your dignity. Uh, black Christians, you're not shields or stools. And Ryan, we were having this conversation that spilled over into a conversation that you and Ali had. Mm-hmm. We said, we got to get on the mic and talk about this because our theme today is black Christians. I, I think this is how we're saying it. Black Christians, you're not a joke. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Black or your blackness were, is not a joke. As oh, well. yeah. yeah. Okay. So th- that's perfect. So black Christians, your blackness is not a joke. So Ryan, okay. can you set this up foundationally for what spawned this thought? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, the the Black Christians Don't Negotiate with Your Dignity was just a personally super impactful podcast episode. Man, thank you, man. I'm yeah. sorry to cry. I, I wonder here, if I, I, I'm trying to remember if I heard that before or after I started working with y'all, but I remember if it was before, it was like, this is the conversation that need to be a part of. And then if it was after I started working with all that, it was definitely like, I'm in the right place kind of wow. affirmation. But um, yeah, I think the the sort of where we started formulating this idea of your, your blackness is not a joke was I was explaining to y'all a story of like a just personal anecdote of growing up in Arizona. I'm from Arizona, primarily white communities surrounding mm-hmm. me, primarily white interactions, white culture. Um, as I grew up going from this like little boy into a grown man, biracial man, uh, my blackness sort of became this uh, part of me that I used as a survival mechanism by, by, deprecating it by downplaying it because mm-hmm. I was surrounded by such a uh, primarily white culture. And that was like the sort of outlier for me where white was normal and everything else was 
novel and interesting mm-hmm. and or odd. Um, mm-hmm. I remember just having to take a lot of jokes on the chin, racist jokes, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And I and I realized recently, just I'm 25 now, but um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to become a joke just to survive in these communities, right? Like mm-hmm. I, yeah, and, and especially like this this concept. I remember Jamar talks a lot about y'all talk about a lot on the show of just. Your, your ethnic identity, your blackness being something designed in you as part of the image of God um, yeah. made me not want to make a joke about it anymore. It wasn't just like a silly, superfluous difference that, that right. just mm-hmm. some dice roll on the planet. Uh, it's something that was fearfully and wonderfully made within you. And so I don't, I don't really feel like poking fun at that anymore after I kind of mm-hmm. wow. experienced that idea. Okay. Yeah, That's so good. And, and Ali, I remember you talking about this idea within your book as well of – surviving these spaces where they kind of poke fun at your blackness or Mm -hmm. highlight your, but you become hyper visible, you know, or invisible. Mm -hmm. I I remember you talking about that. So it spawned into a conversation that you, that you two were having about this as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I think that our uh, Ryan and I, our backgrounds are very similar in the respect of you you being from Arizona and being in a predominantly white context. And then of course I grew up in rural Missouri and was in a predominantly white context and humor definitely becomes a way that you can, that you can deflect some of the assaults of white supremacy. And it, it reminds me of, um, there's a scene in the new roots in the one that came out, um, in, I think it was 2016 or whatever that, um, it would have been like the chicken George character. They're, they're going through the woods or something like that. Like they're, they're trying to get someplace and they run into some white union soldiers. It's like right after the war is over. Um, there, the union has like sort of taken over the, the South and everything. And so there's some place that they're not supposed to be, but they're trying to get somewhere. And so Chicken George like goes up to them. And so Chicken George, like that character, you know, he's always kind of goofing off and always kind of whatever. Well, they're scared that these soldiers are gonna are gonna kill them or they're gonna harm them in some way and so he's so he starts making them laugh so Mm -hmm. like he goes up to the soldiers and he starts and they're real real just like upset i think that maybe they had some people pursuing them and so the, the so they needed the soldiers to protect them and they and the soldiers wouldn't at first but then chicken george makes the soldiers laugh and as he's making the soldiers laugh that humanizes them him chicken george and the guy that he's with and so then all of a sudden the the soldiers you know they're really they're really cool with him and like they're mm. they're going to protect him uh from the from the other people i think that are pursuing them or, or whatever if i'm if i'm remembering the story right but that whole like humor as a deflection or the whole even needing to entertain or needing to excel so you know mm-hmm. i think of where i grew up there were some boys some some black boys in my class that were they were legitimately talented at sports but like that was their, that was like their thing of the way that they could be cool, the way that they could that they could maybe deflect some of the racism was by being good at sports, was by being right. a good running back, was right, by being right. a, by by being a good black basketball player or whatever. And for me, humor like this is just this morbid sense of humor became a way that I could deflect the racism or that I could. And even for myself, it was about making it not sting as much. And I mentioned this in my, in my book about how like the jokes hurt less if you make them about yourself. Right. Mm, So for me, it was like, you know, something, something's happening. 
somebody might say, so. how can somebody say something racist about this? So then I'll just be the first person to say it. So I'll just say what Absolutely. I, I'll just yeah. say what yes. I think that they're saying. Yes. So then if I've said it and I can get everybody laughing about it, then that's much better than somebody else saying it. And then I have to, and then I have to grin and bear it. And that's something you've talked about, Ryan, is right. being in those spaces and they, they make that joke that, they think it's funny and hilarious and you're like, what am I supposed to do in this particular setting? But then what Ali's talking about is even taking that step further, which is preempting it. Just being like, oh, you know, we just we're we're here, you know, and it's a way to release some of the tension for yourself. But also you you kind of bear that burden. You back yourself into a corner, (laughs) right? You you sharpen this double edged sword. We're like, yeah, you have to make the joke Mm -hmm. and that's pain of itself. But now what have you done? You created a a permission structure where eventually they're going to beat you to that joke. Mm hmm. And you're, it's going to hurt a wow. lot more. Yes. And you're going to wow. wonder why. And it's because y'all, you've been making these jokes, right? Permission structure? Are, are y'all hearing this? <laughs> yes. But you're right. It's a right. permission Ab- structure. Yeah. And then it's like, so then something that people would do where I grew up, this was something that came, at, I was not, I was not doing this, but this happened at, in, the, in my town afterward where the black kids would like give out these figurative black cards. Yeah. Where like, oh, yeah. I remember that. Absolutely. Oh, like, like, oh, you know, you have a, you have a black card. And so you can, so you can, you know, say certain things. And I remember my, one of my cousins actually got in, fi- in a fight with a young man at at um but at the bus stop waiting for school because we think he didn't he didn't really say that this is what happened but we think that they probably you know had been like you know my nigga or whatever dude might have been hard ring my, my cousin right. or whatever whenever it was the two of them together well then some of my cousins some of his some of his friends some of his cousins and stuff was with him and dude jumps in out of con white dude jumps in out of context and starts whatever and his friends were like why is he saying that to you? Yeah, like so, a, like a Bel Air moment. Yeah, you know, <laughs> new Bel Air, new Bel Air. Yeah, and, it, and so it was this moment like where they were sort of like, okay, why are you saying this? So then my cousin got in a fight with like this dude who was his friend because wow. he because the dude was using racial slurs and stuff against him. Yeah. But we think like the the kind of the untold part of the story is like whatever all this was going on. My auntie was kind of like, yeah, I, I think that this had probably been going been going on them you know using that type of language with one with one another but you talk about the permission structure and it's like if you give them an inch they will take like a hundred miles so like you might be like okay you know cool like oh I'm oh look at me! I'm eating fried chicken at lunch today. Yeah, they they oh, they'll this come is, in and like, oh what? this is so this <laughs> is so like, stereotypical. Yeah. And then it's like, what? And then like they will jump in with just like oh look there's a baboon or something in the in the thing. Oh look look it's a it's a picture of your family and you're like bruh mm. like how did you, yeah. you took that you took yeah. this way like you took this way like, farther whoa, yeah. or like you now know, we got a scrap like yeah. that like yeah or like you know we're just gonna tell like some of some of my friends thing is you know they would they would just be telling racist jokes and like there was this one point like where somebody just told this about told this joke about like you know how there was this dude um who was who was driving like a watermelon truck and like he would give the watermelons and stuff to these to these young to these young black kids and it was just like this whole thing and they and they wouldn't shoot him and so 
so then and they wouldn't shoot the black kids or whatever so then like the punch line of the joke was like that the dude that there was another dude who saw this and did the and um he like just like put the watermelons out and whatever and the, and the guy shot the kids and the guy was and the whole punchline was like oh well you know you can't you can't like you know bait them or whatever it was this whole like just weird what? like it was this whole like mm. like i'm telling the joke like convoluted i'm trying to like wow. say it say it without like saying the saying whole entire the whole joke right, yeah. but it was like this whole thing of like the but the punchline of the joke was like black kids getting shot over eating watermelon and i remember this joke being told and i was like i don't know what to do like right. like wtf like what do, what, yeah, what am i supposed to do in this moment because like this joke is like a, this like it, it was extraordinarily offensive it's probably one of the most offensive things that i've heard in my life yeah but it's like but if i get if i get mad at it then all of a sudden i'm not gonna i'm not cool anymore yeah. they want, because you're they want isolating to be cool yourself you're you decided like, like, to stand up for well, why, like but that. why are you making it about race it's, it, right. it's, it's so it's so wild and that's something that i think is is crucial in two fronts i think number one i think it's important for us to ask the question why are our friends telling these types of jokes right mm. i think that's a, a mm. key question right and i think a part of it, and y'all can chime in on some other things, but uh, a part of it, I think, is the most, the thing that white people cannot wrap their heads around and cannot, are trying to fight against the, the most is the idea that there's some sort of racial prejudice and bias within them. Mm-hmm. And so that is literally the most offensive. And so they're doing this to relieve pressure, not and not bring us in, but to relieve pressure on themselves. Mm-hmm. So that they're centering themselves with these jokes. It's about yeah. us, but it's not really about us. It's mm-hmm. about them. And so I, I I think that's one reason. But are are there any other reasons why you, you all think that we often get put in places of, I guess we could call it exploitative humor? Mm-hmm. Like what are what are the what are some of the other reasons and, and things that you've had to wrap your mind around when it comes to those situations? Man, I'll I'll go I'll go first. I think that some of it is that at least in my experience from where I came from that some of it really just is a deep they don't actually like black people they don't actually love black people um they merely tolerate us and so they and they just straight up just think that it's okay like they just like at least like where i came from just the level of ignorance some people think that it's okay and they think that that joking somehow because we're because we're laughing that that mean that just because we're laughing that means that we're okay again the permission structure that ryan said is like because Mm -hmm. because because we're laughing they think that it's not offensive and they think that we're not actually like hurting the things that they're saying aren't actually causing us pain and even whenever we make the jokes they they don't realize that that sometimes we're making we're making those jokes in in self defense. We're calling attention to race in the situation, to to diffuse our own sense of tension of being around them. And so, I know in my own experiences, one the, the person that I considered like my best guy friend, we we he moved. Um, to my hometown like whenever we were in seventh grade and i mean we we were close we were we were inseparable it was whatever my like dude again i considered him like my best guy friend 
I realized like at, we're not friends anymore because as an adult, and he was actually the one that made the watermelon joke. Oh, um, wow. He was one that made, he was the one that made the watermelon joke. I mean, we we were close, and when I and, but just what I realized is that like, and I knew this about his family that his that his dad was like profoundly racist, and I and, like he, like he would mention like yeah, you know my dad, my dad like can be kind of racist sometimes, and like and I think back and I'm like you know homie like came to my house all the time like mm. like he, he like he, he would come he would come to my house i never like set foot inside his house right. like i could drive right. before him and we were both on the cross-country team and so like i would pick him up for practice or like i'd drop him off um for practice or whatever and he would never say like you know hey yeah you want to you want to come inside or whatever i was never invited in, into his home his parents were nice to me like and stuff to my face but i realized like you know i think there would be a different points where we probably kind of liked each other or whatever and i realized that like any other situation like we probably would have we probably would have dated like we probably at some mm. at some point mm. we we probably would have gone at least like gone on a date or whatever but that but that never happened well then as an adult like i just sort of i, I saw like you see kind of what people become mm-hmm. and it's like and i realized like this is like this is what he's been like our like our whole time that we've known one another but but like because you know i guess i wasn't i was his black friend and i guess you know, since I, I wasn't in his face anymore um he could just be like who he really who he really wow. was yeah, right. and i wasn't so providing like proximity. that sh- the yeah. proximity like i wasn't providing like he felt i think that he felt like he wasn't racist because we were such close friends and like yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really helpful. Let's let's take a break here and then we're going to come back and share some more things. I think there's so much here that we can unpack right here on Pass the Mic. Hey, family, this is Tyler Burns, host of Pass the Mic, and I am so grateful to each one of you for listening and supporting the work that we do here at The Witness and on this podcast. And I want to encourage you, if you have been blessed by anything we have said, if you have been encouraged, if you've shared the episode, thank you. But you can take your support a step further and you can support us on Patreon.com, Patreon.com slash Pass the Mic for just $1 an episode. That's it. So that's like $4 a month. That's one cup of coffee per month. That's super easy super simple and you can keep this work going we're 10 years in and we want to do another 10 and we need your help patreon.com slash pass the mic we appreciate those of you who are patrons and we appreciate those of you who are going to support this episode is brought to you in part by thomas nelson publisher of grieve breathe receive finding a faith strong enough to hold us Written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, breathe, receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, breathe, receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. Y'all good? Mm-hmm. Any time? Okay. Yeah. So, I, you know, as we've been talking about this humor and making our blackness a joke, when you stand up for yourself, 
because I know that's a mm-hmm. that's a right. pressure filled situation. Like Ryan, how have you processed standing up for yourself when the jokes made? You know they're going to be made, and they're made. And how do you even navigate that? And how would you encourage other people to navigate that? Yeah, I think this is something I'm actually just freshly navigating right now. I think um, there's been very few scenarios where. I would say the only times I'm comfortable with standing up so far or the only times I have stood up for myself so far are with relationships that I feel comfortable losing. Um, wow. But right now I think I'm at a period of my life where I, I'm running into these these walls and actually I would like to preserve this relationship. So navigating that is a completely different type of, right. uh, of challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the fundamental level uh, you want to make sure that you're prepared to lose that relationship because that's a that's a yeah. very realistic yeah. thing um especially i don't know just depending on your social context and where you're like yeah. everybody's coming from like arizona i guess right, <laughs> yeah. right. especially if you're in arizona yeah um but i wanted to go back really quickly about yeah, something please. you were saying uh earlier just about why why do you think that kind of thing happens like why are people making these jokes why is why is where's the the understanding gap i think it comes from a when people have not developed their uh, idea to go back to the image of God, um, yes. especially I think with men, common jokes are just poking fun yeah. at yeah. each other. And, and I, I have no problem with that. I, I think that's fine. But I think uh, when people don't understand that, A, something like blackness automatically alters, fundamentally mm. alters your existence, the way that you mm. engage with the world. Yes. Well, um, it's not something that you picked about yourself. Like I'm not a Mets fan and getting clowned because I root for right, a garbage right. baseball team or something. Right. <laughs> right, right. Like it, it's like, no, this is something that changes the way you go through life. Um, and if you're the only black person in a primarily white context, nobody else is really has that perspective. There's no perspective taking there. Right, right. Um, and and so good. yeah, it's nothing that's like, it's trivia, right? It's not part of your identity. It's just, it's trivia. It's not, it's, it's not personal uh, to them, which I think is just uh, where the fundamental, fundamental misunderstanding is. That's mm. so good. I'm glad you said that. I think that's crucial for people to understand how we were created changes the way we interact with the world, engage mm-hmm. with the world in a society like ours. And so much of our podcast is about conversations like this, where people are just, we're trying to help people navigate the things that they themselves mm-hmm. can. And we take for granted that we can have these types of conversations sometimes, mm-hmm. because I feel like sometimes people do not understand. There are so many that are listening or watching have absolutely nobody to talk to yeah, <laughs> about absolutely. this. Mm-hmm. No one. And, and it's in their church. And, and I think a key here is, you know, when you're talking about being prepared to lose a relationship, I think, first of all, we have to identify what this relationship is. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to identify mm-hmm. what this relationship is. And that is crucial. Now, this is horizontally because we start with don't negotiate your dignity. Absolutely. You know, remember yeah. that you are important. Once you have centered in yourself, oh, oh, I don't deserve this kind of treatment. I mm-hmm. do not deserve to be treated this way. What you do is I think you have to establish what this relationship is because is this relationship a friend very important here is this relationship a pastor Mm -hmm. is this relationship an employer is this relationship and a co-worker like you have to establish this because power dynamics play such a big part in this Mm -hmm. and i'll say this just for you know i know we have pastors that are are uh, white that will peer in do not 
be very careful about how you are joking mm-hmm. with yeah. your black members. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Please, yes. please, please, please. And I cannot emphasize it enough. They will laugh and they don't think it's funny. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. do not think mm-hmm. it's funny. They will laugh. Yeah. And even if they, like when you make jokes about someone's blackness, making it about who they are, mm-hmm. about that intrinsic trait, I think it, it carries with it such harm. And so I want to encourage people to recognize there's a certain type of healing that's necessary when the power dynamic is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when it's not just, oh, my friend, my buddy from high school. But I think also, I think it's just crucial for us to have clarity of Mm. communication Mm -hmm. with our friends about, and this is kind of the interesting point, is being black, I think we have forced ourselves to conform to however people have been treating us. Absolutely. Our our natural way. So. When I go to uh, the first time I, I, I spoke at a predominantly white congregation and preached at a white congregation, I knew intrinsically that the first thing I had to do was get to the first laugh. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get to the first laugh because mm-hmm. the, I'm very young. Mm-hmm. And at the time I had a beard. I had a fade. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, you not I had sneakers on or mm-hmm. I mean, I think I had dress like a dress shoes on, but I still, I was, I was dressed mm-hmm. in a way that was distinctly urban. So I'm just mm-hmm. like, all right, well I need to get to the first laugh. I need to make these people laugh. Mm-hmm. So to open it, it, it up for them to trust me. Mm-hmm. And so I had to do some self deprecating something, you know, mm-hmm. whatever and, and smile a lot and do all that. Now, some of that is knowing your audience. Another part mm-hmm. of that is I'm feeling like I have to use that, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have to use that. But, you know, as you think about, we often just accept however we're treated. We need to train the people around us how to treat us. Absolutely. Yes. We're not we're not talking about like this is so important. We're not talking about an, finding an alternate means of survival, right? Mm-hmm. We're not saying if, don't don't have people joke around try to find another way. Don't don't make people laugh. Try to find another way to to belong in those spaces. This is about getting the dignity that you have being treated yes. as an image bearer yes. of God, right? You don't want to just participate a different way um to get rolled over by a white supremacist culture. You want to be able yes. to stand That's on your so own good. two feet yeah. and be treated the way you deserve to be treated. Yes. And there's an element of safety that sometimes I think to be, to be fair, that sometimes you are acting in certain ways. You're allowing certain things to be said because you don't feel safe to, right. conf- to confront it. Mm, absolutely. And you don't feel safe to say that was that like, that was actually really, really racist. Don't say that again. And so something that I had to learn, like you just practical tips that I had to learn is I had to learn how, regardless of what the situation was, regardless of what the power dynamic and stuff was, there were sometimes, and this is, there's one particular situation that I talk about in my book Mm -hmm. where something horrifically racist happened and there, and I was very disempowered in the situation to really be able to say anything. And so in the situation, the absolute best thing that I could do at the time, and if I had to do it over again, I would have done it differently. But the best thing that I could have, could do was just give like this, I'm two through sigh, roll my eyes, give like my best Aunt Viv, number one side <laughs> eye to them. <laughs> right, right. And mm-hmm. just kind of, and just like ignore it, but also like let them know like I, like this, this isn't okay. Show a little right. discomfort. Just show some yeah. discomfort and be like, I'm not okay with this. But something that as I started to find, as I started to find my voice when the world tried to silence me, <laughs> <laughs> available wherever you get books. But points anyway, to the camera. So points to, yes, points to the camera looks at, but anyway, it looks into the camera, free advertisement for my book. But something that I had to learn as my, as I found my voice was to say, was to essentially like 
assert boundaries and yeah. to be like, you know, you can't like you can't say that to me. So so if it was somebody yes, that I exactly. that 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 exactly. if it was a person that I had a relationship with that I knew that maybe they didn't they were a friend. I'll say it that way. Somebody Absolutely, somebody yeah. who was a friend that I knew that overall they they meant me good and not ill. I would just say you know, like, so one of the things that people would always get, because I was young, married person, I always get my husband's white, biracial kids. Oh, you know, you, you're a little using the O slur. That is a cookie. That no. is a whatever. Mm. Oh, you know, oh, your kids are going to be, you know, these nice little yeah. racial slur cookies. And I would just say, y'all, you can't say that. Right. I don't, I don't, I and mean, this was before I had kids right. even, right. but it was like, it was like, you, you all, you all cannot say that word about, don't say that word about any biracial person, period. But you can, you cannot use that word around my kids. Like that's just, that's not any kids that I, that I may have in the future. And I have kids now you may like that is that is not okay that's actually really racist please don't say that mm -hmm. and so they and so people had to learn okay you know if, if you're going to talk to me about whatever like don't 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 say those things don't say those words there were some times when you know people would would that there would be points where people you know make jokes or whatever that just weren't that just weren't funny where sometimes i would give them a really sarcastic again people that i knew that are friends mm -hmm. or whatever look at them and give them a really sarcastic laugh and like <laughs> that's not like no that's like that's not so so trying right. to add some humor but trying to just be like no that's yeah, not funny you're not you can't but, like, like you can't you can't say that so sometimes it just you you have to just simply assert your dignity right mm. yeah. and not not roll over and accept oppression in another way but just right. say no this this act is like no is a full sentence yeah. you can simply say don't don't do this this isn't okay because here's the thing if your friends if your white friends who would say that they don't have a racist bone in their body and you're their black friend and whatever they would say like they would say that they should be okay with being told yeah, that something's not, yeah, racist yeah. like so if so if they are going to get upset because you told them that they that their slip was showing essentially yeah. that they have salad in their teeth that they have toilet paper on their foot mm. if you're telling them that and they're getting uh, and they're getting upset <laughs> about it then right. is that person is that person really your friend really. right yeah really a friend really walking in solidarity with you really mm. an ally Another thing that I'll say that's really important is I've learned to ask people a follow-up question, mm, even mm -hmm. if I do laugh in a survival way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or trauma will, way. Like, or it's trauma, automatic trauma response. Like, I, I've had to walk yeah. it back before. I'll I'll be like, like, I'll be like, I don't <laughs> want to laugh at that. You're like, like, wait, whoa. Like, I wasn't that trying wasn't to laugh. That wasn't funny. Yeah. That, that, that wasn't funny. But I'll be like, yeah, so, so tell me, what do you mean by that? Mm. Mm-hmm. And I so try, I try to return a little bit of the discomfort, mm -hmm. but also make them say the quiet part out loud. Oh, yeah. let's yeah. go! Like, okay, if that's what you, what do you mean? Really? I don't, I don't get it. What do you mean? Yeah. Oh yes, yes. Making them explain. You know, the like joke. really explain. That's, it. I love that. I love and, making and when them you get to a joke. space like for them now they have to consider and think about it. Mm -hmm. So I'm really making you process. What you've, how you've made me feel in mm -hmm. this scenario. Mm -hmm. And I'm making you process how you've made yourself look in mm -hmm. this scenario. And so now you have to literally think about it. I'm not going to do your work for you. I'm not going to make. Mm -hmm. mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Why do you think that's funny? Why do you think that's funny? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. you're saying that, that all black people are this? Like, like, yes. A great example of this was when there's that 
uh, clip of the four comedians with uh, Jerry oh, Seinfeld. Oh, yes, and, yes. Um, Ricky Gervais, Louis C.K., Chris and Rock. Chris, Chris Rock, Rock yeah. Mm-mm-mm. And Lord. so Ricky and Louis start saying the N word, and Chris is laughing and, and getting along. And uh, Ricky or, or Louis, one of them looks at Jerry, and says, "Ah, you don't, you don't, you don't say that. You wouldn't say that. Like we would say it, like, but you wouldn't say it." And Jerry's like, "No, you're right." He said, "The difference between us is you found the humor in that word, and I haven't." And he said, <laughs> yeah. "As a matter of fact, that was he, said, he said, nor do I seek it." Yes. <laughs> and he laughed after he's like, nor yes. do I seek it. <laughs> like, oh, man. Yes, that was like, Jerry Seinfeld. It's like, yes. yo, he, he, he ate y'all up in yeah. like two mm-hmm. seconds. I, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, I'm not saying like, oh, he's a great guy. You know, I'm just but in like, that moment, in general, in that, in that moment, moment, he did the right thing and he called out like, you shouldn't be letting them do this. <laughs> like, you know, Chris Rock, I want to look at Chris Rock and be like, you Hello? shouldn't be letting yeah. them do this. But okay, anyway. so so I want to, this isn't a diversion, but it sort of is. The Chris Rock in that situation. There's a dynamic mm. that we have that we have not spoken to that I think that we have to speak to. Mm. There are some black people, and I'm sure that we, that, that Ryan, you and I, there might be other black people who have looked at us in situations and been like, that well, they're the type of Negroes that I'm about to that I'm about to call out right now. Right, me too. And I and I don't I'm not trying to say that I that I know Chris Rock's heart or I'm not this is whatever. But what about the black people who seek that space? Mm. Who who seek and I mean I'm probably gonna say something people don't like here, but seek that coon space. <laughs> like that like that, that 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 seek send all your emails yeah. to yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. please direct your emails to okay no i think i think you're uh, yeah i think that's crucially important because on the one hand you know there is the there, there's the aspect of the survival we can say for chris rock like the survival the i'm yucking it up the whatever i get it but what about those people that are in that space of self-deprecation and and we're sitting there with them. We're yeah. the we're the yeah. Jerry Seinfeld of the situation, mm-hmm. if you will, the black yeah. Jerry Seinfeld of the situation. What would we say to or of or whatever? Or how do we handle that? What what would you say that's about that really, situation? Wow. Ooh, yeah, that's heavy, right, Ryan? That's heavy, it is. Man. Yeah, I uh, I used this analogy yesterday, but like the idea of dressing up your blackness as a jester to get access to the king's court of white supremacy mm. right so these people are already in the court and they're they're dancing and they're happy Ooh, they, they the jester right they they, they they the fool they got access they got power they play in the fool right and it's work for them my work here is done right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's good <laughs> right right so so they don't see everybody else on the outside of the court um that's good and i think humanizing that element of it being able to open that door, have them look upon the rest of the people, leave the court, go something like get out of the court. That's so good. It's not worth it. Mm. That's so good. Mm-mm-mm. You know, that, that is really, I think that's going to be freeing for a lot of people. Generally. I hope so. Yeah. My, my, my. I think that's going to be freeing for a lot of people. That's one of those analogies that we're going to remember. I needed that same, I, I needed that same word when I was younger. So I, I, I hope so. Leave the court. Yeah. Take, take off. Take off the uniform. Take off the hat. Take yeah. off the makeup. And leave. In, and in the same way that mm-hmm. I would try to make someone who is making that joke think about what they're doing, mm-hmm. I think I would also try to do the same thing with one of us who is in that Absolutely. Space. 
And they bought into the white supremacist individualism. Even exactly. Mm, yeah. Well. Lord. <laughs> okay, okay. Every five minutes when Ryan's up, we're like, ooh. Okay. okay. I think it's and I think it's important in those scenarios, even if they don't agree with you, mm-hmm. to because this is how it typically works, right? They were conditioned socially to act the way that they act mm-hmm. because of some sort of currency or connectedness or whatever. They were conditioned socially for this. So in, in many ways, recondition them. Right. Mm. Like, so it's like, why, why did you think that was funny? You know, mm. and to, the, to the person who told the joke, who's probably white, they say, well, hey, in our particular culture, and so immediately what I do is I try to bring him in, in, in with me. Mm. I mm-hmm. try to establish there's some solidarity. Hey, in our particular culture, when you say that, you're saying something about our blackness and that's not cool. I mean, I know you've been in that scenario too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, and he might disagree and dissent, but at the same time, I've tried to bring him in mm-hmm. to stand in solidarity with me. Mm-hmm. So I made it easy for him. No, stand in solidarity mm-hmm. with me right here. Mm-hmm. No, let's stand together because this ain't right. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I can see what he's saying. You know, especially if, if we are as Christians called to bear one another's burdens exactly. and they're okay. placing that upon you, mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it's just basic empathy to welcome them into helping you exactly. bear that. And, and I think like any, any loving relationship, any loving friendship based on that aspect of believing in, in Jesus and trusting um, that we are called to bear one another's burdens. If there's mm-hmm. love there, I think they're not going to may, maybe initially mm-hmm. tough for that individual, but mm-hmm. they would welcome that opportunity to, to love you more like Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's so good. And, you know, I think that sometimes this goes back to like racial identity development that some people, they might not, their identities might not be developed to the point where they can see the difference, where, mm-hmm. they, can, where mm-hmm. they can see that like this person making this joke, this isn't okay. But by inviting them into that solidarity, you're giving them the chance that they might not fully understand. They might not even fully agree, but it, I think it gives them a point to be able to ask questions. And that, and that might be a catalytic yeah, moment. That might be what they Sometimes, need. you know, too often, I think that we discard one another. Yes. We did, we on, discard, Ali. we, we cancel, we, whatever, like I'm tired mm. of the word cancel, but that's, <laughs> but that's, but like, that's the, that's the vernacular. That, that's what the kids are using these days. And so I'm trying to stay, I'm trying to stay up on, on what do you what do you all call it the lingo i'm sorry yes, yes. i'll be third i'll be 38 i might be 38 whenever y'all listen to this so i'm kind of feeling on, I'm, on. Feel, I'm feeling my oldness so anyway so anyway i'm an elder geriatric millennial and yes, so yes anyway no cancellations no cancel no, no no cancellations please um but you know i think that sometimes among black people especially those of us who have more of a racial justice bent who have more of a you know we don't want to be some of us who've been in that space before we don't want to be in that space anymore i think it be, it can be very easy for us to discard people who ex, who display behaviors that we find embarrassing mm. and like oh my like oh my goodness like that person isn't really black like i don't know who right, that is like right. he that's not a kind like and i think that, right. we're, that we're so that's quick good. we're so quick to distance ourselves from certain people yeah. and i understand there are some black people who are downright embarrassed and i'm not going to call any names but certain supreme court justices certain conservative <laughs> um certain conservative commentators that we right. got we got two black supreme court justices now y'all so it'd be you know 
I'm just saying it. It's out, it wasn't just one anymore. It's the man, Anyway, um, you know, there are certain conservative commentators mm-hmm. out there, out there, um, that that place themselves in a place to for me that they're able to be made a spectacle a spectacle of by whiteness mm. i have been i talk about this once again in my book about i have been in that position before right. of of making a spectacle of myself and then quickly realizing that is not what i want to do and feeling mm. and feeling shame for that um, but i think that we can that that we can so those of us on the other side can so readily just discard people and so readily just dismiss people where I think that even for our Supreme court justices and our um, uh, conservative social commentators, we have to hold the door open. Yes. We have to yes. hold the door open for them. We have just, again, extend that arm, extend that hand of solidarity that they can come out, they can come out of the sunken place yeah. if they, if they want to. And, um, just, I think that, that in that space, we just have to be so quick so, or so careful not to be quick to discard people who are doing, who are doing the wrong thing. I love it. Yeah. I'm, I really appreciate Ryan, you being on and bringing this topic up and it just, of course, I yeah. think this is going to be freeing for people. Ali, I Appreciate you I hope so, man. sharing what you've navigated. And um, just as a reminder, again, as we like to do in, on these episodes, Black Christians, your blackness, it's not a joke. Remember, you've been created in the image of God. And even how people treat you and talk about you should be done with dignity. Amen. Amen. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.